What's up? You are now listening to the Next Level Confident Podcast with Janelle and A. If you are ready to challenge your previous ways of thinking and take action on the bold, purpose-driven life you were created for, you'll want to keep listening. On the show, we will vulnerably discuss finding your purpose in life, strengthening your mindset, building quality relationships, and prioritizing your health. I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to the Next Level Confident Podcast. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, Today's topic is talking about boundary setting strategies. So you might have a problem with boundary setting if you're a big people pleaser, um, you feel an ongoing sense of guilt or fear if other people aren't happy with you. Um, You feel like you're always responsible for other people's happiness. And you often don't feel good enough for people at your work, your significant other, family, et cetera. And I actually found this list. um, It's called 18 Signs That You Lack Personal Boundaries. And I'm not going to read all 18 to you guys today, but I'm going to read the first few because I think they're really powerful. Um, And I'll, I'll link this below in the show notes so you guys can listen to this. Number one, you fail to speak up when you're treated badly. Two, you give away too much of your time. Three, you agree with a person when you actually feel like disagreeing. Four, you say yes to a person when you want to say no. Five, you feel guilty for dedicating time to yourself. Six, you feel taken for granted by others. Seven, you permit people to touch you when you feel uncomfortable or want them to stop. Eight, you have toxic relationships. Basically, you're always giving and the other person is always taking. Um, And the last one I'm going to read here is you make too many grand sacrifices for others at your own expense. Now, a lot of my clients that I've worked with one-on-one through Next Level Confident, um, a lot of women have this struggle. I'm sure men do as well. I mean, of course they do. But I have found that a lot of women struggle with it even more. That could just be a biased opinion, but that is my opinion. And so that's why I wanted to do today's podcast to talk about some strategies to combat this boundary setting or lack of boundary setting that that most women struggle with in one way or another. I know one that I've shared before that I struggle with is saying yes when I want to say no. A lot of times I just want to, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want to step on any toes. So I just, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do, you know, and it's, I've been learning to say no, and I'm definitely still a work in progress. So there's varying degrees of, um, I suppose, uh, suffering with or dealing with this challenge of not setting boundaries. Um, I think no matter who you are, you can gain something from setting boundaries. Even if you do set boundaries already, there are probably more boundaries that you can either set with yourself or with others. So, I mean, having boundaries is is so important because setting boundaries with ourselves and others leads us to feeling more peaceful, free, um, and it raises your level of self-respect and confidence and it helps you I guess just feel 
like you don't have to please everyone. You're happy with who you are. So that's the goal of why we're talking about having strong, clear boundaries. And and so I'm going to give you some that I would encourage you to implement in your life. So the first category we're going to talk about today is work. We all have had a lack of work boundaries at some point in our life, whether you are dealing with it right now. And as we record this, we are in coronavirus. So I'm sure there's even less of boundaries when you work from home, like we all are. But um, even when coronavirus is over, this will still be relevant because um, either way, we struggle with work boundaries. So um, one thing that I see that is a boundary that is broken a lot is immediately responding to work emails and work texts. So the thing is, at the end of the day, you train people, you train people how you want to be treated. Sounds weird. We're kind of all like dogs, right? And you think of Pavlov's dog where they ring the bell, ding, ling, ling, and the dog's mouth salivates, right? We train people what we do. So if you always respond to your emails and texts within 60 seconds, they're going to get used to that. And when you don't, they're going to be like, what the heck? Why isn't she answering her email? It's been literally four minutes. What could she be doing? Right? And, um, and so if you, if you don't do that immediately, people start to get used to that too. And of course, there are emergencies and you, you know, you'll want to respond to those. <laughs> it goes without saying you'll want to respond to the emergencies, but not everything is an emergency, right? So um, for an example... I actually have 41 unread text messages right now. These are text messages like from friends and family and clients and people I love. Um, I love every single person that is in my messaging app right now that is going to get a response. I will respond. Um, But I'm also okay with a one to three day response time on texts. And my parents have teased me about it before. They're like, what if there was an emergency? And I'm like, Well, I check my phone. So, I mean, I'll see if there's an emergency and I respond to emergencies quicker, but not every text is an emergency and I can't be on my phone all the time or else I wouldn't get as much work done or be as present with my husband or be able to read a book because I would constantly be responding to all the texts coming in. So I think asking yourself is how quickly are you responding to emails and texts and, um, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone needs a one to three day response time, but if you go and listen to my podcast with um, Natalie about taking a phone vacation, in that, in that podcast, we talk about what it's like to be off a phone for an entire week. Yeah, can you imagine an entire week? So train people. And, and if you're the type of person right now who's doing a 60 second response time, just start to maybe slowly and gradually, like three minutes and then five minutes and allow people to know that you aren't chained to your phone and that sometimes you actually close your email browser or you actually close your phone so that you can work on tasks and not be switch tasking, right? We can't multitask. Humans don't multitask with two brain-oriented things. So for example, you could listen to a podcast and clean because one doesn't really use thinking in your brain, right? The cleaning is kind of your autopilot and same with driving, but you can't write an email and then also be, I don't know, writing a text or working on a website or something like that. So when you switch tasks, it's super inefficient. 
and it, it makes everything take longer. So just put your phone away, close the email tab while you're getting work done throughout the day, and then check your texts maybe two or three times a day and check your emails two or three times a day um, and give a slow response time. It's okay, I promise. Um, another work boundary that I see crossed a lot is working late. Once again, especially when working from home, it's so easy to work late. But even before working from home and the quarantine, I know so many of my clients who would stay at their office till 7 or 8 p.m. every single night. Now, one of the, the things that I know to be true is that there are sometimes appropriate times where you will be working later because... Yeah, I mean, that, that's life. Sometimes there are work emergencies, sometimes there's deadlines, but if every single night there's work emergencies and every single night there's fires to burn out and there's always deadlines and it's always like that, I think it, it's time to look at your workload or it's time to look at your expectations around how much you think you can get done in a day. Because working till 7 or 8 p.m. every single night for years and years on end will lead to burnout. And you'll be super unhappy. And here's the thing. Your work doesn't get better as the day goes on. A lot of times, if you go and take a break and come back to it, you actually get more done. So, yeah, I think having the discernment to know, is this a work emergency or can this wait till tomorrow? As an entrepreneur, I always have work. I mean, the to-do list is always... I mean, I don't even know how to like quantify it. It's always long and there's always so much to do. So every night when I go to bed, there's a thousand things I didn't get done that day that I wished I would have, but it is about finding those top three or four most important things and getting those done every day and, um, and creating that to-do list at the beginning of the day of like these three or these four things must be done by the end of the day. And that way, the other things that are of lesser importance, they can get done the following day. There's no way we're ever going to complete our to-do list every single day. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So be okay with it. Be okay with an ever to-do list. When you go to bed at night and lay your head on the pillow, congratulate yourself for everything you got done. Instead of sitting there or laying there and thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't get this done. I didn't get this done. I didn't get this done. And just thinking about the glass half full. I mean, sorry, <laughs> half empty. Don't think about the glass half empty. Think about the glass half full when you're going to bed at night and going through that to-do list, seriously, just stop and think to yourself, what all did I get done today? How can I be proud of myself? So not working so late at the night, which leads me to my next point, which is having work start times and work stop times. Now for me, when I was becoming an entrepreneur, one thing I was really worried about was how every entrepreneur I talked to, they were like, grind and hustle and grind and hustle and you'll be working 14 hour days every single day. The days will burn to the nights and the nights will burn to the days and you won't even know and all this stuff. And I was like, that sounds literally horrible. I would much rather work for someone else my whole life and have clear cut boundaries of eight to five. Granted, I know a lot of people who work eight to fives that don't have those clear cut boundaries, but I was like, I would rather work for someone else and have clear cut boundaries then work for myself and have no boundaries. So I knew when starting my entrepreneurial journey that I would need to set boundaries. So when I quit my job and started my business, I was like, okay, you're starting work at 8 a.m. every day. And by 6 p.m. every day, 
no matter what, your computer screen needs to be closed and your work email is not to be checked in the evenings. Now, we all have different times of what's an appropriate time for the workday to start and end, but I promise you, working till 8, 9, 10 p.m. every single night is not beneficial, beneficiary, <laughs> is not beneficial for you, for your company, for your significant others or your family. You think you're getting a lot done, but really you're not. You're sitting there exhausted. It's like 9 p.m. You can barely keep your eyes open. You feel like crap. You've barely moved your body or you've barely, you know, like you're not productive. Close the screen, take a shower or like go to sleep and then wake up and get started the next day. I know there are some exceptions to this rule, but a lot of my clients that I've worked with, I'm hearing more and more and more and more and how hard it is for people to stop their work day by 5 or 6 p.m. Or, or maybe even 7 p.m. is your cutoff time. Choose a time that is your cutoff time and stop then. Seriously. Know what time you start your day, know what time you end your day, and stick to those boundaries because you're going to get more productive work. Like, here's an example. You know what? I was working out the other day and I had 20 minutes because I had a client call. And I think it was like 1235 that we got that Frankie and I started our workout. And at 1 p.m. I had that client call. It was just a call. So like she didn't have to see me all sweaty and stuff. But I had 25 minutes from start to finish, from like getting started to being sitting down at my computer, having a phone call. I had 25 minutes. I crushed that workout. I moved so efficiently and so quickly and I was sweating and it felt so good. And I was like, that was one of the best workouts I've had in a long time because I, I had such a little amount of time to get it done. So I would say like with your emailing and with your, your texting and your work and all the things that have to do with your job, whatever your job entails, especially during work from home life. But even if you go into an office after this, um, make sure that you know your start time and end time because you will be more efficient. Because if you tell yourself and you have accountability that you will be closing that screen at 6 p.m., you're going to work that much harder and that much more efficiently. You're going to have some urgency. But when you get in the habit of working till 9 or 10 p.m. every single night and every single night there's no boundary around work, you're exhausted. It's, you're getting crappy work in. There's no benefit. I promise. There's no benefit. There's just, there's very few exceptions to this rule, unless there's a crazy emergency happening at work, but not everything is an emergency. Okay, my last thing I'm going to say about work boundaries is taking your weekends. Whew, I cannot stress this enough that taking weekend time off of work is crucial, so crucial. And I think one thing that really would help is if you were to not have, you know, a work email with notifications that pops up on your phone, because when you have notifications on your Gmail or whatever mail app you use, you're going to check it because you're like, what is the notification? So I've turned off all notifications on my phone, except for phone calls. So my screen will only light up if I get a phone call. And when I open up my phone, I see no notifications. And it's awesome because I want to be the one that chooses when I go to Gmail. I want to be the one who chooses when I go to my text messages. I want to be the one who chooses when I go to Instagram, et cetera, because notifications are a salesy way to get you to check that person's app. You know how many times I get onto all of my apps and I get so many pop-ups to say, are you ready to enable notifications? Enable notifications, go into your settings and enable notifications. 
um, sorry, iPhone, I'm actually not going to give in to your scam of having notifications all over my phone. I will check it when I'm ready to check it because then I'm in control. Oh, that's such a good boundary. You, you guys, I cannot, I did this two years ago and I have not looked back, turn off all notifications except for phone calls. Because then if your phone is ringing or the screen is lighting up, like right now I have my phone on right next to me, right here. And I'm sure there are texts coming through. I'm sure there's emails coming through. I'm sure there's notifications from all social media platforms, but I have no idea because that screen is black. And on a side note, I will say, I hate when I am at coffee or at lunch or breakfast or whatever with someone and their phone's sitting on the table and the, the, it just keeps lighting up and lighting up. It's like a little buzz each time too. That's even worse. It's like every time we're talking, your phone is going to keep buzzing and lighting up and it's just going to be like new message, new message, new, new email, new Instagram notification. Like it's so distracting. It's so rude. If I'm in the middle of a story, which let's be honest, I tell a lot of stories, I'm going to be distracted and I'm going to look down and it's going to throw me off my A game. I don't want to be thrown off my story A game. My story A game matters. So just think about the fact that it's not good for your brain to constantly have that stimulation and be constantly connected. And I truly believe that disconnecting from your phone um, in a way of not having notifications 24 seven is so healthy, especially work notifications on the weekend. So did a little research for you here, a recent survey by enterprise rent a car of 1000 Americans ages 25 and older found that 67% of respondents work on a typical weekend, primarily by reading and answering work related emails. 67% of you guys are working on the weekends. Why? Furthermore, in this article, I found that working excessive, excessive weekend hours can, can damage your mental health, says Mayra Mendez, a licensed psychotherapist and program coordinator for intellectual and development disabilities and mental health services at Providence St. John's Child and Family Development Center in Santa Monica. Santa Monica, California. Wow, that was a mouthful. I had not prepared to say all that. That was a lot. But anyway, what she says, this is what's important. Studies have shown that people who typically work longer hours over an extended period have a higher risk of experiencing depression. Yeah, because you're just constantly going, 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 and just working for that next dollar or trying to get the next sale or trying to please your boss or trying to please your coworkers or trying to be the best of the best of the best of the best. And you're losing yourself in the process of that. You're losing yourself. You are slowly dissipating. You're becoming a I have this weird vision of you becoming this like translucent version of yourself, like a little ghost because you're not being present for life. Work isn't everything. Like, I mean, trust me, I am all about working hard, putting in hours of work. I'm not saying that to work. I'm not saying to be a lazy millennial or something like that, which I don't think millennials are that lazy actually. But what I am saying is that your whole life just can't be work because one day you'll feel really empty. And if you can't even take 24 hours off during a weekend from checking emails or LinkedIn or whatever it is that is work-related for you, if you're that chained to your job, that's up to you. 
Now, maybe your employer expects it from you, in which case you may need to have a conversation with them where you say, hey, here's the thing. I love you. I love working for the company, but I didn't sign up to work seven days a week. I signed up to live my life. And that includes taking you know, 24 to 48 hours off for the weekends where I won't be responding to emails. If there's an emergency, give me a call or something like that, right? But if there's not an emergency, do not call me and do not text me and don't try to get a hold of me. I know that so many people listening right now might think that sounds like a mean boundary or that I sound rude, but I promise you can say it in a respectful way. And I promise that it will change your life when you begin setting these boundaries with other people and with yourself and then actually sticking to the boundary. So yes, to end my rant, working without boundaries leads to burnout, which is the opposite of what you're wanting. Slow and steady wins the race. If you burn yourself out and you have bad health and you're stressed out, stress is a huge part of bad health, by the way. You might have a healthy body, but if stress is constantly nagging at your door because you let it, you're not going to win that race. You're not going to win that race. Slow and steady wins the race. Fifty-six percent of college students are women, and forty-eight percent of employees in the workplace are women, which is awesome. Ladies, this is proof that we are smart and working hard. But you know what's not so awesome? Only twenty-nine percent of VPs and just twenty-two percent of C-suite executives are women. In male-dominated industries such as STEM, these numbers are even more startling. As these numbers state, women aren't lacking the knowledge, education, or ability to be leaders in the workplace. What many women are lacking is the confidence to take on risk. Most of us have heard this one before. Men will apply for jobs they are 60% qualified for, yet women will only apply for jobs they are 100% qualified for. This type of stat also applies to women at their job, not willing to take on that new, unknown project. What she's lacking is the belief that her skills and abilities are not only quote-unquote okay, but are powerful and needed in the workplace. The Confidence Workshop is created to help women dig deep into their mindset and get to the root of this problem. If this conversation gets you as fired up as it gets me, we are now taking applications for this workshop for the ladies of STEM corporations. Please head to our website at nextlevelconfident.com to learn more about the Confidence Workshop. Okay, moving on to topic number two, which is family, friends, significant other, and coworkers slash boss slash work-related human beings in your life which are maybe also your friends and maybe also your family. And hey, even maybe your significant other. So here's one thing that I thought of that happens a lot. What I hear my clients or even friends say that they do is that they call someone for advice when they're going through something really difficult, which makes sense, right? You want to get advice. Um, and it's someone you love. So you're, you know, you're calling or, or you're talking to a best friend or your spouse or your boss, like someone you really care about and, and you care about their opinion a lot. And then they give you advice that wasn't what you want to hear. And also 
might not be the best advice. Now that's two different things. I will say that because they might be giving you the loving truth that you actually need to hear, right? Maybe their opinion on that subject matter is truly what you need to hear. And I really encourage you to, to call a couple different people and, and bounce the idea off more than one opinion um, because maybe it is what is true, right? Like maybe you're in a bad relationship or something and someone's just trying to be honest with you, like you got to get out of that, but you don't want to hear it, right? But then on the flip side, there are times where you have a great idea for starting a business, we'll say, or you have a great idea for applying for this promotion at your work. You have this great idea. It's audacious and grand and you call someone to get advice and they love you and they want the best for you. So they encourage you to not do that thing because they want you to be safe and secure. But safety and security isn't everything, am I right? Am I right? So the problem is when you let that one voice have all the power in your life. A lot of times for people that can be their parents or their boss or a best friend, it's someone who's like holds this like status, like this power status in your life. And you let them have the final say. Once again, it might be good advice. It might not be. I really encourage you to A, go and talk to other people, get the advice from other individuals than just that, that one individual. And I also encourage you to sit down and journal about it. Is what they're saying what you need to hear? It's the honest truth that sucks. Or is what they're saying loving and kind, but not necessarily what works for you? So let's take my story of moving to California, for example. I was living in Colorado, and yes, I know, I tell this story a lot, but it's what I know, so work with me here, people. I would tell people, I'm moving to California, I'm moving to San Diego, and I worked at a tech company, and everyone there would be like, wow, that's awesome, do you have a job? What job do you have? Like, do you have friends out there? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> I don't have a job, and I don't have any friends out there, and they're like, a boyfriend? Is there a guy or something? And I'm like, Nope, literally no one, no guy, no friends, no job. I'm just literally going and I'm going to figure it out when I get there. Woo! You know how many people I told, who told me that I was crazy? People would look at me with literally like this, look at me like, uh, uh, what are you doing? Right? And numerous people would try to talk me out of it. They would say, well, you know, people in California, they're just really rude. They're really self-centered. All they care about is their looks and the traffic is awful and it's so expensive. And they gave me all the reasons why I shouldn't go. And then they'd be like, and Colorado is the best place on earth. You'll never find anything like it. And I even had numerous people tell me, you'll be back. They're like, you'll be back. And I was like, uh, okay, well maybe, but like, I'll never know if I don't try it. So I think all those people were trying to give me good advice. They were trying to be helpful and kind, I know. Um, and even my parents, you know, my parents were, they were supportive, but they were definitely apprehensive. And, and you know, it was a little bit like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I was like, yes, like I might be making the biggest mistake of my life, but I want to try it, you know? Um, and I also, I say that, but also I, I did a lot of journaling, a lot of calculations. I was like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? How can I process this and work through it if I don't get a job or if I am not able to whatever? So I'm not saying to make a stupid, rash decision. Definitely think it through. I spent over six months planning and thinking and journaling and trying to process if it was right or not and praying and being like, God, is this right? So 
you don't need to make a brash decision, but if you are making a decision about where to live, what job to have, your relationship, like with your significant other, I would say there is strength in numbers. So if you've had lots of people telling you that the relationship's not a good one, or if you've had lots of people saying like, I really don't think you should leave your job, then, then you should probably listen to that. But if, if it's like 50-50 and some people are really excited and some people aren't and you start to get all these advices and all these voices in your head, just get quiet with yourself. Get real with yourself and say, okay, in my gut of guts, what do I feel? Do I have a bad icky feeling and I'm just doing this because I feel like I should? Or do I feel peace about this and I actually feel really good about it? Listen to that gut feeling. Because at the end of the day, you have the final say and it's okay for you to disagree with people. That was one of those things we said at the end, right? Or in the beginning was, you know, you know you're lacking boundaries if you have a hard time disagreeing with people. It's okay to disagree. You're still going to be loved. People are still going to support you. People aren't just going to like up and leave your friendship just because you didn't perfectly agree with everything they had to say. So remind yourself of that. You're lovable. People want your opinion. Having an opinion is seriously sexy. I was having this conversation with a client this week. I'm like, it is cool to have an opinion. Like, I'm very opinionated and I'm sure that pisses people off sometimes, but at least I have an opinion. Have an opinion. I don't care if you disagree with me. You can disagree with me all you want, but have an opinion. Seriously. We can respectfully have opinions too. Like, it doesn't mean I have to be, not everyone's going to be as in your face. I am a little in your face, let's be honest. And I'm learning to be you know, respectful and kind and loving and how I do it. And I, I think I do a pretty good job of, of, of doing those things usually when having an opinion. Um, but you can, you can have an opinion and be loving and respectful and kind in the process. It doesn't mean being a jerk. It doesn't mean saying it as brutally honest as possible. I promise you can have an opinion and do it well. Okay. So the next part within this category of, um, family, friends, significant other, and coworkers is, um, when someone says something that you don't like about yourself specifically, and you just let it happen, you don't say anything that's on you. Just like we talked about at the beginning, you train people how to treat you. Don't let people walk all over you like that. You don't need to be mean when you call them out but you should bring it up. So whether you bring it up in the moment, which is much scarier, right? Like, so say someone puts you down in the moment, like Janelle, you're loud and obnoxious. And because that's one of my worst fears, I would be like, oh no, that's like the lie, right? The lie is always Janelle's loud and obnoxious. And you know, maybe I am a little bit loud. I get that. Um, but I don't have to associate obnoxious and too much and ridiculous and all those types of negative connotations with my loudness. Maybe my loudness is just part of who I am because I have a boisterous personality and, and that's okay. And if someone is quieter and, um, you know, I, I, like someone could associate negative things with a quiet person too, right? They could be like, I'm quiet and, and mousy and squeamish and weak and blah, blah. Or you can be like, I'm soft-spoken and quiet, but I believe in myself and I just prefer listening generally and I still have an opinion, but I'm just not as loud about it. And that's cool too, right? Like we're all allowed to be ourselves within all of this. So um, something that Brene Brown says is that clear is kind, 
and unclear is unkind. So if you aren't clear with people about what they can and can't say to you, um, that's on you. This is kind of a weird example, but when I worked in the hospitality industry, I was a hostess for a lot of years. Well, like, I guess two years, felt like a long time. I was 16 and 17 in Greeley, Colorado, shout out. Um, and there was a guy there who was a server who was used to smacking girls' butts. And if you've ever worked in the hospitality industry, you'll know that this is not unique to this restaurant. Makes me really sad and really annoyed. So um, this guy, he, it was some sort of basketball or football game. His team got the point or whatever, and he was really excited. And I was in the dish pit and I remember I was like loading, like unloading the dishes and he comes running in just so excited. And then he winds up and then boom, slaps my butt. And I was like, oh, hell no. And I turn around and I look at him and I go, never touch my butt ever again. Just like that. 16-year-old Janelle. Yeah, come on, girl. And he literally, his eyes get huge. If he was a dog, his tail would have gone in between his legs. He was like, Aah. and he, he didn't say anything. He just scurried off didn't speak to me for weeks or months. I don't even, like, I don't even remember ever speaking to him again because he was so embarrassed as he should be because it's not okay. But can you imagine if I never said that? And I know that's a drastic situation, but like, if I never said anything, he would have thought it was okay. And he would have continued to do it. But instead I put him in his place respectfully, but very firmly. And he was probably afraid that I was going to get him fired. I don't even know if I ended up telling management or not, to be honest. Like now looking back, I'm like, yeah, sexual harassment. He should have like gotten written up or something. But I don't think I told on him. I don't remember, but I don't think I did. But I took care of it because I set the firm boundary of what was okay with me and what was not okay with me. And even though numerous girls, unfortunately, at that restaurant were okay with their butts being hit by other servers, it was kind of like a fun game. It wasn't cool with me. I had more respect for my butt than that. You can't touch this. <laughs> um, and it goes the same for your family, your friends, your significant other. If they are saying something about you that you don't want to be said, it's up to you to clearly communicate what you want them to do or not do. And so if someone's like, oh, you know, Susan, she's always, you know, she's, she, you know, typical Susan, like, you know, the little, the comments people say, it's like, hey, I'd appreciate if you didn't say that because it's actually not typical of me or I'm working on this and it's kind of a soft spot and I'd rather you not berate me about it. So um, I just would say that it's never too late. It's never too late to let someone know that you weren't okay with how they spoke to you. Even if it's literally months or years later, you can, you know, and if you're, if you're nervous to, to, to reach out to the person and tell them, you could write a letter or a text or an email or something like that where you have time to think about how you're going to say it and how you're going to write it and everything. But I really, really recommend that you make sure they know the boundary, especially if it's a repetitive thing that they keep breaking, like they're, they're breaking your trust over and over with it. Let them know that it's not okay. And, and to be honest, we all probably do it in some ways or another. We, we make comments about people. We don't realize how much it's impacting them. I've probably done it to Frankie. Frankie's probably done it to me. My parents have probably done it to me. I've probably done it to my parents. Like you do it to the people you love the most a lot. Um, but that doesn't mean it's okay. And, and you don't, like the person doesn't always know that it hurt you. So if you clearly communicate, hey, this hurt me, 
then they can actually make a change for the future. And that's what matters the most. Okay, and then the last category we have here is social media and TV and screen time in general. So creating boundaries around these. So number one, take an inv inventory. How many hours a day are you actually on your phone? You can go into your settings and look at your screen time. How many hours each day are you actually on your phone? And I don't know much about droids, but on the iPhone, and I'm assuming the droid, you know, is obviously just as smart as the iPhone. Um, you can go see how many hours have you spent on messages, emails, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, whatever it is, all these apps that we're using. Um, so be aware of that. Be aware of how much time you're spending on it. And then the second part is being aware if you're present with your family, your friends, or, or your significant other, or even yourself, honestly, if you're alone, are you being present with yourself? Because it's so easy to be looking at your phone a lot, but your body's there, right? Your body might be there with your family. Your body might be there with your significant other or your kids or, or yourself. Obviously, your body's always there with yourself. Um, but if you're just on your phone all the time, you're not present for anyone. You're just spending time on your phone working or talking to friends or whatever it is. So ask yourself what's most important to you. All those small moments add up over time. And if you're constantly spending time on your phone instead of creating the boundary with your phone and allowing yourself to just put it away and truly be present with someone. You know what the best feeling in the world is? Is when like three hours or four hours has gone by and I all of a sudden I'm like, where's my phone? And I start like looking around the house. I like can't find it. And it, it fell somewhere in between the couch cushions. And it was, it's been four hours since I even like thought about looking at my, for my phone. And it feels so good. It feels so good to just lose track of time and to lose track of your phone and to lose track of like, especially on the weekends when you're just relaxing, you know, it's so nice. So I really encourage you to think about how much time you're spending on your phone when you're around loved ones and even with yourself, because it ends up just distracting you from thinking about real things in life and being present with the real things in life. And um, if you're always on the phone, you know, texting or whatever it is around other people, you don't create the space for organic conversation. So the thing is, is like, if it's quiet for a little bit and both people aren't on their phone, you think it's going to stay quiet probably for that much longer? Probably not. I mean, if you're reading a book or something, that's different. That's great. But I'm just saying like if two humans, let's say you're at a meal, we'll say you're at like dinner, which we can't eat at restaurants right now, but we will again one day. And we're sitting at restaurants, a restaurant on a date, we'll say, if I'm on my phone the whole time and Frankie's on his phone the whole time, time can pass so easily and no conversation will happen. But if you both left your phone in the car and then you both just sat down at that restaurant, there might be some silent, awkward, silent, awkward, silent, what is the word I'm looking for? Silent, awkward, like silence, si awkward silence. Oh my gosh, quarantine brain. There might be some awkward silence on the, on the date because you're just sitting there without your phones. But eventually you've created a space where probably a thought might come into your mind, a thought. And then you'll be like, wow, remember that one time when we were on our honeymoon in Mexico and it was so nice and we slammed with the turtles? Or like, maybe you'll notice the old gentleman sitting in the corner of the restaurant by himself looking sad and you're like, gosh, 
maybe we should pay for his meal or maybe we should go say hi to him or something. He looks really sad. Like you'll wake up to the actual world. You'll start having conversations. And the same goes with if you are, if you are self-quarantining right now and you are all alone, same rules apply. You'll start to have conversations with yourself and new thoughts will come up. The silence and solitude is so good. So create those boundaries around your screen time. And then, yeah, I think what I'm going to end with here are three action steps. Action steps, because you know that I like practical action steps for you to leave this podcast and do. So the first one is, which boundary mentioned today is most needed in your life? And how are you going to change that? I've mentioned a lot of different boundaries that you could set today. Some of them are with work. Some of them are with technology. Some of them are with significant, or I guess human beings, significant human beings. (laughs) Um, So which boundary mentioned today is the most needed in your life and how are you going to change it? Write it down. Seriously. Number two, are there any clearing conversations that you need to have? A clearing conversation is basically a conversation where you reach out to someone in order to tell them what's going on. Um, A clearing conversation is what you need to have if someone has been crossing your boundary over and over and over again. And the steps to a clearing conversation, I'm going to try to get this right on the spot because I wasn't planning on sharing this, but step one is saying the lie I created. So say someone kept saying I was loud and annoying, right? Like we said earlier, or obnoxious. So we'll say like the lie I created is that I'm actually loud and obnoxious because, but I realize like I'm not actually obnoxious and, um, and then gosh, let's see. The next one is you can help me by number two, you can help me by, you can help me by not making those comments anymore. I know you're probably kidding. I know you might've been joking around, but if you could not use the word obnoxious or annoying when you're referring to me, that would be really awesome. That would really help me not feel like I'm loud and obnoxious. I know, pretty straightforward. Number three is um, what you can expect from me. What you can expect from me is, you know, I, I'm going to, I guess maybe the, the conversation is like, you know, do you feel like I'm being loud in a way that like is taking away from from you being able to share, because I, I definitely don't want to be dominating the conversation so much that you don't feel like you get to be yourself. And so asking like, how can I support you in making this better? Right? So it's pretty straightforward. It's just starting a conversation and you're not putting all the blame on the other person. So they'll take it really well. And then also you're coming to a conclusion together. So that is a clearing conversation is there any person that comes to mind that you need to have a clearing conversation with? If so, write down their name and write down what you're going to clear with them and how you might want to word it using those steps. And and I'll tag those steps below since I semi butchered them anyway, I'll tag them below so you can go back to that journaling prompt and be able to create a little letter or a text to someone that you might need to write that to. Okay. And then the last action step is For those of you struggling with working all hours of the day or the night or the week, start writing down the time that you plan to stop working every day and ask yourself what 24 hour of time you're going to block off each weekend. So if you're used to working all weekend long, you never take a 24 hour break, 
write down, okay, it's going to be from Saturday at 6 p.m. to Sunday at 6 p.m. Or, or maybe it's the full day Saturday, right? It's like, I don't check my phone. I don't, I don't do any work things from start of day sun, Saturday till I wake up on Sunday morning. And then I let myself do work stuff on Sunday, right? Find a time that works well for you and start, start small. Even if it's 12 hours, six hours, create some boundaries over the weekend to truly enjoy your weekend. Um, and, and then what time at night that laptop needs to be closed and what time you'll stop checking any emails from work. Be that 6 p.m., 5 p.m., 7 p.m., 4 p.m., whatever your number is, choose a number. And then for accountability purposes, you'll want to tell your spouse or you'll want to tell your best friend or you'll even want to maybe tell your boss. Whoa, I just hit my face on the microphone. I got so excited. Or tell your boss because these people need to know and they can help hold you accountable. So ask for that. Say, hey, I have been working too many hours. I'm feeling super burnout. I'm drained. I don't, I'm like not passionate and motivated for work right now. I need more time off. And I'm going to do that by taking nights off starting at 6 p.m. and by taking all day Saturday off of work. Can you help hold me accountable to that? If you see me starting to check my email at, at 8 p.m. on a work night, will you call me out? Because I want to be called out because I want to get better and I want to grow. Ask people to hold you accountable. And when they do hold you accountable, thank them. Don't be mad. Don't be like, ah! you know, like your ego being all, why are they actually calling me? I didn't actually want to be called out. Yes, you did. So let them call you out and thank them, even though you'll feel angry in the moment. Be like, thank you. Thanks for holding me to my, my high standard. <laughs> and accountability is one of the best ways to make sure you actually do the things that you say you want to do. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe, five stars, and leave a review. If you like this podcast, if you are one of my people who are listening, leave a review because I love reading them and knowing who is listening to these. And also, if you ever have a topic you want me to cover, I will cover truly pretty much anything. So give me your topic ideas. What are, you, what are your problems? What are you challenged with? And how can I help have a conversation that will help you tackle them? Okay, have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you later. Bye.